Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here. Those of you that are joining us here in the sanctuary and those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you. Uh, I noticed a trend this morning. I don't know how many of you noticed this, but I noticed that a lot of you weren't standing up as long and you weren't raising your arms as much. And I, I'm just wondering, could it have anything to do with the fact that you're just plain sore today? Um, I was thinking that um, 20 years ago, moving somebody in or out would have been nothing. But these days, uh, I laid down in my bed last night and I thought, I don't think I'll be able to get up again. Um, and I thought it was just me until I talked to some of the younger guys that were there working as well, and they were telling me they're sore too. So if we're not as energetic this morning as usual, you can blame the Rhodes family for that, okay? Uh, and just having to move them in with all of the joy of that. Um, throughout the month of October, I took some time and I talked to you uh, in a series called Life Stewardship. Uh, and I believe that those truths are essential for all of us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And they remind us that stewardship is not just about our money. Stewardship's about our whole life. Even as we spent this morning uh, in worship, offering our lives to God afresh. That's really what life stewardship is all about. Money isn't the sole determiner of our stewardship, but it can be for us a reflection of the reality of our life's allegiance. In other words, who are you loyal to, number one, above all else? And if your money doesn't reflect that, then it calls into question your statement of allegiance. So my prayer is that having worked through this series in the month of October, you would have had opportunity to offer your life afresh to the Lord and to say, all that I am, and all that I have, it all is yours. Every single thing. In fact, I said to you uh, one day, and I thought about it again this week as I was up here walking around, uh, if it were not for our situation with COVID-19 and the pandemic and our need to obey the rules that have been established by our health department, I would have asked you just to come and offer your life at the altar again, as happened so many times in years past, and just say, God, you are the Lord of my entire life. And my purpose in presenting that to you was that we would together recommit our lives to being truly God followers. Not just God believers. A lot of people believe in God. But are you a God follower? Is he truly the Lord of your life? So this morning, as we come into the month of November, it's hard to believe it's already November, and Somebody had the temerity to post on Facebook first thing this morning that they're expecting like some kind of white precipitation this afternoon. I, I don't know of what you speak, but uh, in November, could be snow. But what I wanted to do this morning is to talk to you in a somewhat simpler vein, but I hope an encouraging reminder to all of us. I want to draw your attention to one sentence, just one sentence in the Bible, albeit a somewhat long sentence. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is oriented towards you personally. So 
Put your hand on your heart, if you would. Right here, wherever your heart is. I don't know, is it here, here, somewhere in there. Put your hand on your heart and just say, this is for me today. Say it again. This isn't theoretical. This isn't theological. It's for you. This is God's Word for you. God's Word for me. Father, in Jesus' name, I know that uh, the best I can do falls far short. But I also know that your word is living and active. It's powerful. Your word can change lives today. So Lord, I'm asking that in this very simple reminder of a truth from your word, it would capture, it would captivate our hearts today. And that we would know this is God's word spoken directly to us. I pray it in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. You could open up to Hebrews chapter 13. It's the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, if you have your Bibles with you. Hebrews chapter 13, or on your phones, on your app, you can pull it up. Or if you have no inclination whatsoever to do that, the words will be up on the screen for you. Okay? Hebrews chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading two verses, but it's one sentence. Two verses, one sentence, starting in verse 20. Hebrews 13, 20. Now, say now. now. So, when are we talking about? Now. now. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you, working in you. Okay, let me say it again. Working in you to will and to do that which is pleasing in His sight. That which is well pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that one sentence ought to thrill your hearts. That God has this mind towards you. Now, how many of you have read those verses before? Can I see your hands? How many of you have read them? Okay, uh, I, I have, certainly. But I find that often, when I'm reading the Scriptures, I'm often reading with an agenda. And that agenda might be, I purpose to read through the entire Bible at the beginning of the year, ending by St. Patrick's Day. So I want to have read the whole Bible by St. Patrick's Day, which is like someday in March. I don't know what it is, but it's March. So I want to have read through the whole Bible so that when I come to these, I'm coming towards the end of my reading and I'm skimming through it as fast as I can to get to the end so that I can say I accomplished my goal. But if that's your agenda like it is often mine, and I confess that with chagrin, then sometimes we read the Scriptures and don't let it actually speak to us because we're just getting through it. So my hope is that today we can take enough time to let this Scripture speak to you today. And I want to talk about very simple truths that I know you all know. But I wonder sometimes if we forget in the midst of all that's going on. I don't know if you realize that this is a, a significant week in the United States of America's history. There's actually a presidential election going on this week. Did you know that? Yeah. Who would have thought? So on Tuesday, if you have not already early voted, 
as many of you have, you're going to probably go down and you're going to vote for whoever will end up being perhaps the next president of the United States of America, as well as, of course, other offices that are equally important in our lives. But in the midst of all of that, it's really easy to get so consumed with all of that stuff. In fact, uh, I, I don't know about you, sometimes I open up Facebook and I start to read, because I want to, you know what I want to see on Facebook? I want to see pictures of your kids or your grandkids. I want to see somebody quote a scripture. But I open up Facebook and it is overwhelming the rhetoric about the election and all that's going on in our nation and your strong feelings about everything from who should be president to the pandemic. And you go on and on and sometimes I'm thinking, did you forget that God still sits on the throne? And that regardless of who's the president, we're okay? We are. Because God is our king. Not Donald Trump or Joe Biden. God is our king. So I'm just saying to you, please, stop ranting and raving. Let me do it from here. <laughs> All right, let's look at the Scripture, because that's way more encouraging. The first thing I want you to look at, look at the first words. Now may the God of peace. The first thing I want you to get, if you're taking notes, number one, God is a God of of peace. Peace. Right now, he says now, right now, this very second, God is at peace with you. Now, I confessed, I wasn't raised with that idea about God at all. God was not a God of peace for me. He was clearly a God of anger and a God of judgment. You had to live your life so carefully, lest somehow, even by accident, you ticked him off. And if you did, look out. I was raised with the picture of God as being this old man, probably white hair, white beard, I don't know. Uh, at least that's what was in my mind. Who honestly stood up in heaven watching us with a magnifying glass to see when we would do something wrong so that he could catch us and smack our hands. Just like the nuns used to do with that stick. Uh, I got to tell you, that's not the picture that the writer of Hebrews is evoking for us. He starts off having concluded. I mean, think about it. Hebrews starts with God talking about Jesus. God, through this writer, is talking about Jesus, saying He is the glory of God. He is inexpressible in His glory. And he goes through the whole book talking about the majesty of Jesus. And he sums it up by saying, let me remind you what I have said for all of these 13 chapters. God is a God of peace. The primary characteristic that he wants you to catch about God is that of peace. And God spoke to us today and says, right now, at this very moment, God is at peace with you. Isaiah tells us, in Isaiah 9, 6, that he will be known as the Prince of Peace. And then Paul tells us as Christians in Ephesians 6 that our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, everywhere you go, the first words out of your mouth to somebody that you're talking about God shouldn't be, you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell. Because i got to tell you, that's not good news. The first thing that ought to come out of your mouth is, God's not at war with you. 
And the truth is, you're not at war with God. We're not big enough for that. God is not at war with us. Right now, this very moment, you are at peace with God. And maybe it doesn't feel that way for you. Maybe because of what's been going on in life right now, it's been hard for you lately. We had um, some dear friends in the church just about a month ago lost their dear mother, and then today lost a brother-in-law. It's been hard for some of you. You've lost loved ones during this pandemic, and you couldn't even do a funeral in a normal way. Or maybe for some of you, I know friends whose parents live in Canada, and they can't cross the border to visit their parents. So for some of you, you don't feel a whole lot of peace right now inside. Maybe for some of you, it's because you haven't talked to God in a long time. Maybe for some of you, the reason you haven't talked with God is that you found yourself wandering a bit. And so you feel distant from God, estranged from God, and you feel like there's no way I can be at peace. You can't say this is peace because God and I aren't even on speaking terms. But I am here today to tell you, based upon the word of God, that right now, right this very moment, you have peace with God. The word of God makes it crystal clear. The Bible is clear even as with the story of the prodigal father, which I know most often we talk about it as the prodigal son, but the truth is it was the father who was prodigal in lavishing upon the son grace that he did not deserve. But that whole story Jesus told to combat the legalism of the religious leaders of his day. And he was telling them, God's not at all like you think. God is pursuing you today. Right now, God is pursuing you with his grace. You might not even know God very well, but God's still pursuing you. You're sitting here and maybe you came because somebody dragged you here. Maybe your parents. Or maybe you're here because some friend said, hey, we ought to be going to church once in a while. We've got kids now. We ought to get them in church. But regardless of your reason, you need to know God is pursuing you today with His grace, and with His peace. I want you to hear, God isn't angry at you. God's not mad at you. God loves you. And He only has peace in His heart towards you. Now, back in Nehemiah, towards the end of the book in chapter 9, there's a long prayer. And you've got to remember, the, the context of Nehemiah is that the nation of Israel, embodied in Judah, had been taken into captivity for 70 years. The temple and all of the holy things, including the Ark of the Covenant, the law of God, had been taken from them. And they had gone 70 years absent from the presence of God. They come back into Jerusalem where they're rebuilding the wall of the city, they're rebuilding the temple. And Nehemiah, commands that God's word, which had been brought back with them, would be read. And when they begin to read it, the very word that you hold in your hand, in your phone, the very word in that book that you hold, the very word that you saw up on the screen, that word so impacted their hearts, the Scripture says they began to weep. They just began to weep. Have you ever held the word of God and just wept over the majesty of God's word? That you have the privilege of holding God's word in your hand. They wept. They wept out of repentance because they had strayed so far from God. They had neglected God for 70 years. But they also wept out of joy. 
that we can now hear God's voice. L listen to what Nehemiah says. But they, speaking about the children of Israel, they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. <coughs> Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. Again and again, all throughout the Old Testament, God's people would wander from God. They would go far from him. In fact, the scripture says a generation arose that did not know God. And they would even not just wander for God, they would act in rebellion to God's word and God's ways. And yet, Nehemiah tells us, even then, God did not forsake them. God did not abandon them. And I want you to know that regardless of where you feel like you're at today, God has not abandoned you. He has not forsook you. But he continues to run after you, even as the prodigal father did when he ran to his son and lavished his acceptance upon him. I don't know where you're at today, but what I want you to do, just very briefly, is I'd like you to close your eyes, just right now. Again, this is between you and God. If you're just completely uncomfortable, I understand. But if you would, close your eyes, and I just want you to take a moment. And I want you to open your hearts toward God. And thank God right now. Just say, thank you, God, that you've never forsaken me. Even when I was far from you, you didn't forget me. Even when I was consumed with other things, you never lost track of me. And then I want you to thank God that he's at peace with you. And the truth is, you're at peace with God. You want his presence. Just invite him in right now. Father, sweep over this room. Let us realize in the depths of our being that you are a God of peace. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be troubles. But he's still the God of peace. He is your God of peace. Father, let peace envelop our lives today. For some, they're anxious about things that feel outside of their control. Others are trying to juggle things to take control. But the truth is, what we all want is to rest in your peace. To be able to take a deep breath, a sigh, and let it out and to say, God, I'm in you. I'm resting in you. Let it be so today, Father, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. The word peace, by the way, as you all know, is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom doesn't mean a cessation of problems or troubles. It means the presence of God. And isn't that what you want? His presence? 
The second thing I want you to look at, he goes on. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. If there was a theme that ran from the beginning to the end of the book, it would be the theme of blood. You see, all throughout time and history, mankind needed an atoning work. We needed a forgiveness, but even more than a forgiveness, we needed a cleansing of our sin. And God had arranged at the very beginning, you go back into the garden, God slew animals in order to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And it continued all the way up through until in the wilderness, God established a means of atonement, a means of forgiveness of sins by bringing an animal before the high priest. And they would bring this little sheep. And they would often keep that, pre, that sheep in their own home in order to keep it as perfect as possible. And that sheep would be brought and it would be killed. And the blood would be poured on the altar for the forgiveness of sins. And then the priest would take his hands and lay it upon a little goat. And then he would proclaim all of the sins of all of the nation over that little goat. And then they would release it into the wilderness where it would live alone and it would die alone. And I want you to hear me. There are those people who preach and teach that the Old Testament law, the Old Testament mode of atonement was not good. But I want to suggest to you there's nothing that God has ever instituted that's not good. God is good. And what he put into place was so that the people could know forgiveness of sins. But there was a problem. There was a limitation. They had to do it every single year without fail. Every year, they would come to the Day of Atonement, set up in the Passover, and they would bring their sheep, and every year they would be reminded, I have to do this again. That what I did last year wasn't good enough. It didn't last forever. Every year they were reminded of their sinfulness and of their lack, that they weren't quite good enough in themselves. They weren't clean enough. They weren't without sin enough. And they realized it would never end and it would never get any better. The law showed them that they had failed. Yes, it gave temporary forgiveness and cleansing, which was good. But it showed them it wasn't enough. The law never showed them how to just be plain clean forever. But that's not true for you and me. The writer of Hebrews tells us there's a new and better covenant that was written in the blood, not of some cute little lamb that you kept in your house, but through Mary's little lamb, Jesus Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. And that shedding of the blood wasn't something that had to be repeated year after year. That shedding of the blood was done once and forever. You and I have been forgiven. Just, just take a moment, if you would. Close your eyes again. Again, I know we read through the Scripture so quick. Close your eyes. Just thank God for forgiveness. That You're forgiven. If you go much farther than that, you've gone too far. Your sins have been forgiven because the blood of a Savior has been shed upon the cross for you not enough to be a good person. You're not good enough. 
It's not enough to do good things to make up for your bad things. Your good isn't good enough. It might get you a couple feet higher, but you still can't reach the moon. The only thing that will truly forgive sins and cleanse you forever is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that happens is when you accept the life of Christ into your heart and just say, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. You are my Savior. Every sin, every failing, every slip-up in your life has been forgiven. Past, present, and future. Let me say it again. Past, all of it is gone. It's, it's under the blood, literally. The blood didn't just cover it over. The blood washed it away. That's why he says, he says, if we confess our faults one to another, we have forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Not enough that it just covers it over. He cleanses us. Past, all gone. Present. You know, you probably woke up today and you were in a snarly mood because you were sore. Or maybe you didn't get enough sleep because you knew the time was going to change and you stayed up later than you should have. Even present sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And future sins, there's nothing I can do. There is nothing I can do that is beyond the power of His blood. Nothing. Never. The writer of Hebrews words it so well. Hebrews 9.14 He says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You're not just cleansed to be clean. You're cleansed to serve the living God. If all you do is you say, forgive me my sins so you can get your ticket punched to heaven, you've missed the boat. And I doubt you will even honestly gain heaven because faith in Christ and in the shed blood of Christ means that we now serve the living God. How much more? This forgiveness that you have received is more. It's eternal in its scope and in its power. The Bible tells us the blood stands as a testimony against all sin. 1 John 5, 7 and 8 says this, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and you know the Word is referring to the Son, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit. Says the Spirit convicts us that we are His. The water, speaking of your baptism, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Our forgiveness is a done deal. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins. And he takes it a step farther in the next chapter. Chapter 2, verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In other words, somebody made a list of everything you've ever done wrong and posted it. He says he's wiped it all out. All of that which was against us, he's taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This morning, 
If you are in Christ, His blood has been shed on your behalf. And you know forgiveness of sins and cleansing complete in your inner man. There's a saying that we have uh, that goes something like this. If it seems too good to be true, probably is. Well, i got to tell you, this is one that seems too good to be true. But it is. It is true. It's the truth of God. Number three, the third thing I want you to see, and finally, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. The third and vital thing I want you to consider is this truth. The resurrection is central to who he is and who we are in him. Paul tells us in Romans that the Holy Spirit is the agent by which Christ was raised from the dead. The power of the resurrection. And then Paul goes on to say that that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He tells us that in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I heard this week, or maybe it was last week, I think it was last week actually, uh, some well-meaning preacher said this, even if Jesus was never raised from the dead, it doesn't change anything. Let me say that again. Even if Jesus was never raised from the dead, it doesn't change anything. He's still an amazing teacher, and if we all could just practice life the way he did, then the world would be a better place. Doesn't that sound so nice and warm? Doesn't that make you feel fuzzy? i got to tell you, it's as wrong as wrong can be. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is as essential as the shedding of the blood of Christ. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15. It's got to be one of the most severe sections of Scripture where Paul just lays it on the line. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Without the resurrection, you have no faith. And then he goes on farther and he says this, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Let me read it again. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, he's saying, if all you do is you have faith in Christ here, and then when you die you become worm food, then you are to be pitied. Because this life is it. But that's not it. Paul, it's almost like Paul can't help himself. He says all of that. The very next verse he says, first words, but Christ is risen. Christ is risen. You don't have to wait for Easter to celebrate it. You can celebrate it every single day of your life. But then he takes it even a step further in Romans chapter 6. He says, if Christ, if you put your faith in Christ and Christ is buried, you're buried with Him. And then when Christ is risen, you're risen with Christ. And then he says, that resurrection gives us the power for newness of life. Every single day, when you open your eyes, it is a new day with new possibilities for the grace of God. 
Paul tells us in Colossians 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died to your old life. That old covenant is done away with. You are now in Christ. And all that is true of Christ is true of you. We can now live new life in Him. We sing it at Easter time. We sing, Up from the grave He arose With a mighty triumph o'er His foes He arose. We sing it at Easter time. Why do you wait for Easter? It's true of you every single day. This morning, let's remember and embrace the truth that regardless of the confusion and the fighting going on around us, people have strong opinions about a lot of things. But regardless of it all, the truths that the writer of Hebrews have just given us ought to hold us steady. First, we're at peace with God. And He's at peace with us. You're at peace with God. God's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not looking to get you. You're at peace with God. And then we have to remember, we're completely forgiven once and forever because of the shedding of His blood. You're not just forgiven. You're cleansed. You are whole because of Him. And then finally, we're walking a new life because we're in Christ. And that reality is sealed in His resurrection and His promise of ours. Is it any wonder that we are Christ fanatics. That people charge us with talking about Jesus too much. It's because we have become enamored with Him and all that He has done for us. We're at peace with God. All is forgiven and cleansed. And up from the grave He arose. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? Wonderful, wonderful truths from God's very mouth to you. God is at peace with you. He is a God of peace. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can know complete forgiveness and cleansing of your sin. And because He was raised from the dead, so are you because you're in Christ and He is in you. But the way that's realized is when you ask Jesus if you could come into his heart. Say, I want to be in you. I don't want to live life my way. I don't want to try to be a good person only. I want to be a believer and a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to know this forgiveness of sins. I want to know this peace in my heart. I want to know a newness of life then you ask Jesus, say, come in. Come into my heart. And you purpose to follow him for the rest of your life. This isn't a momentary thing. This isn't something you frivolously do. This is something where you, by the grace of God, make a decision. I'm going to be a God follower. At work, I'm going to be a God follower. At home, I'm going to be a God follower. In my marriage, I'm going to be a God follower. Father, follower. In my family, and in my children, I'm going to be a God follower. All of my life, every bit of it, that's who I am because of who he is. Father, in Jesus' name, if there be any here who 
don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. You offer it freely. You offer it with thrill and joy such that your word tells us the angels in heaven rejoice when a soul comes to know you and becomes born again by the Spirit of the living God. It's not just a decision we make. It's where the Spirit comes in and gives us life eternal. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who not know you, that you would bring them to that point where they would say, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be all to me. Even as we read this morning in Hebrews. And then may we walk in the thrill of knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding beyond what we could normally expect. The forgiveness and cleansing of our sin and the power to walk in a new way. Lord, we, we're not waiting for Easter to sing and celebrate, and we're not waiting for New Year's to start a new leaf. Lord, we want to walk in newness of life today. Let that be the expression of the life of this body of believers, that we are true followers of Jesus. We walk in his way. I ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? Um, at this point, the ushers are going to dismiss you by rows, kind of like in a wedding kind of thing, starting in the back so that you can uh, leave and be safe distance as possible in accordance with the health department. And please, parents, don't forget to get your kiddos downstairs, okay? And I think you know the way to do that. If not, somebody can help you out in the foyer. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the snow. <laughs>